0: Welcome to the Semper Reformative Podcast, Spreading the Word and contending for the Faith. Last week, we learned about the disruption that was caused by the Jews at Thessalonica. And so the Christian evangelists have left, Thessalonica under cover of darkness escaping the murderous intentions of the mob and they have made their way to Berea. It's an interesting detour. Um, Remember back in Acts 16 when Paul received his Macedonian call to come over into Macedonia and to help the people there. And so far going from one end of Macedonia to the other he has simply been following the main Roman road that very wide road called the Ignatian Way and he's going along that from Philippi to Thessalonica and some commentators here speculate that he would have continued along that road that road would have led to Rome remember the old saying all roads lead to Rome and so did the Via Ignatian it led right across towards the north of Italy and eventually to Rome. And I wonder, is this one of those occasions referred to in Romans chapter 1 and verse 13, or verse 3 rather, where Paul talks about, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, verse 13. Um, and he was talking to the Romans. He had planned to come. But something happened to stop him. Could this have been it? He was making his way through Thessalonica along the via Ignatia and suddenly he's diverted and he's taken out of Thessalonica by night and he's brought down out of Macedonia, off the main road, off the beaten track into this little place called Berea. It wasn't really his decision it seems. It was the decision of his friends. Um If you look back at our text, uh, it says in verse 10 that the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea. Berea. They obviously presumed that Paul and Silas would be safer away from the main road, away off the beaten track. It was described by one ancient writer as an out-of-the-way town best to stay there until the hue and cry died down a bit. Well I don't know what the reason was but I know that God meant it for good. Very often that's what happens in our lives isn't it? We get diverted for some reason, something happens, some incident occurs and our plans are suddenly changed. Sometimes it's sickness Sometimes it's an unexpected death. Sometimes it's redundancy. Sometimes we lost some kind of favor uh, with someone else. Sometimes our circumstances suddenly change and we don't know why. And then we look back years later and we say the Lord had that in his will. That was God's will. Whatever the reason, God meant it for good. At Berea, souls were saved. I want to look this evening for a moment at the attitude of the Bereans to biblical preaching. And then I want to make some simple textual observations about the effect of preaching in a biblical manner. And I'll explain to you what that means. I want to talk about the Bereans and the Bible for... These Berean Christians were famous for the fact that when Paul preached, they searched the scriptures to find out whether the matters that he was teaching were actually in accordance with what is taught here in the Bible. Maybe that's why they were told in verse 11 here that they were more noble, more fair-minded perhaps, than those in Thessalonica. People tell us that we should be like Bereans, that we should examine the scriptures, that when you come here on the Lord's Day evening, that you should not take for granted that everything that a preacher is saying is scriptural that you should look over those sermons, that you should look up all the references and check everything out, that you should be a good Berean. Go away and read the text for yourself and see if you come to the same conclusions that the preacher has come to. Now, the problem with us nowadays, of course, is how do we do that? You can't ask someone to be a Berean and to go away and to check out what's being said in pulpits if they don't have the skills for that, if they don't have the knowledge or the tools to actually do what we're asking them to do. We want you to go home and be a Berean. Check out everything that we say. But what if you don't know how to do that? You see, many modern Christians are not as proficient in the Scriptures as former generations. Bible knowledge generally in society, is at a very, very low ebb, and I think that's the same in large sections of the visible church. We need to start to imitate the preaching methods of the early church, of Paul himself. Paul has here a very simple approach to to, to teaching and preaching. When he preached at Berea, his sermons would have been plain and simple, so simple that a child could understand. The purpose of preaching is to open up the word of God to the hearer. It's not to entertain you or to amuse you or to make the preacher look clever or important. It ought to be as simple in its presentation as it is possible for it to be. Everyone should be able to some extent to follow along and to understand. Paul would have preached very simply to the Bereans. We're going to create a situation where people can read their Bibles and do some Berean work. And we'll need to have a biblically focused approach. There's no point in telling people um, to go home and read their Bible if we've just used scattered verses all over the place. If we've just picked a wee verse from here and a wee verse from here and a wee verse from here and we've brought the three or four verses together and we've made it say what we wanted to say. That's not biblical exegesis. And in my humble opinion, Which is not really worth all that much, to be fair. We have too many topical sermons in churches these days as well. I mean, sermons where you start, the preacher will set out to prove something, prove a theory or a doctrine or a creed out of the Bible, and then string together a random selection of Bible passages to allegedly prove what they want to prove. We formulate our doctrines, our creeds and our beliefs out of the Bible, not reading them into the Bible. Theologians talk about the difference there between exegesis and eisegesis. Now, of course, topical studies will have their place. They're needed for certain occasions, aren't they? And when they're used, they have to be used with great care. And we can't have a constant diet of them. Paul, from what we have seen of his preaching in the book of Acts, preached thoroughly and systematically through the scriptures. You can go back and read how he did that at Thessalonica. We need a simple approach to preaching. We need a textually focused approach where we're actually taking a text and reading the text and using the text to excite people's minds, that they will read the scriptures when they go home. And we need a teaching approach, a didactic approach. There must always be teaching content. And in this day and age, we have to work out how best to do that. At Ballymaccashan in the mornings, I, I go to great lengths to provide notes for the people so that when they go into church they will be handed the sermon on notes in advance so that when I'm preaching they can go through it with me. I've been to churches where there's been a blank page in the order of service to encourage you to make your own notes. That's good. I've been to other places where ministers print out the headings and the subpoints. Others put the, the, the scripture references on different places in the church. We give as much information as we can. The purpose is so that you can go home and be a Berean. You can check out exactly what has been said. It is the preacher's job to make it easy for you to check out everything that we're saying in the pulpits. It's our job to make you a Berean and to provide you with the tools to do that. At one church where I was the pastor for a number of years, there were a very large number of people who came to church without bringing a Bible. I'm talking Christians. They brought everything they needed for the service, They brought their bottle of water, nothing wrong with that. They brought their sweeties, nothing wrong with that. They brought their chewing gum. The one thing they didn't bring was a Bible. It was a shame. And Sunday after Sunday, I was telling them over and over again, bring your Bible to church Open your Bible and read your Bible when it's being preached on. And don't bring your best Bible with the fancy leather back. Bring your working Bible, the one that you read through the week, one that you can write on and bring a pen and underline any text that you need to check up on later. Don't do it if you're reading off your iPhone. It doesn't work. One Christian lady told me she didn't want to bring her Bible to church. She says, I just love sitting, listening to you reading the scriptures. Well, sorry, but I'm not here to be a poet or to entertain you or to to read to you. The scriptures should be in your hand so that when the preacher is reading it, you are reading it too. You want your Bible open. It's the same reason. And I don't want big Bible texts put up on a big screen at the front of the building. I want you to have a Bible in your hand. The Berean checks out everything that the preacher says in his own Bible. Be like the Bereans. So when Paul preaches, he's a simple approach to teaching, a textually focused approach. A didactic approach, an approach that teaches, an approach that cuts through the societal presuppositions of his day. You'll notice that these people were noble-minded. Another way to put that is fair-minded people. We have to encourage fair-mindedness in our listeners because we've got a lot of cultural bias in this land. That we have to cut through in order to get the sinner to accurately reflect on God's word. We have to teach our hearers basic biblical hermeneutics when we preach, we have to teach them simple principles of biblical interpretation. We have to teach them how to compare Scripture with Scripture, how to do cross-referencing, how to look for context, how to learn what the books of the Bible are about, the various genres. We have to help modern believers to be noble-minded, to be fair in the way that they read their Bible. And we see examples of all of that in Paul's teaching ministry, and we see it rewarded at Berea. Right. Let's get to the text. (laughs) Let's put it into practice. I want to make some very simple textual observations about biblical preaching and teaching as Paul did it. So we go back to our text in Acts and we're going to look at it and see what we can learn about the effects of Paul's teaching ministry at Berea. And also to see the contrast. And how that biblical teaching ministry was received. The difference between those who are God's elect and who receive it with gladness and those who reject the gospel. Look at verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily whether these things were so the first point is that bible centered preaching always always stirs the affections of god's people always they received the word with all readiness of mind. I was listening over the weekend there uh, to the commentary that was going on around the death of Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. I don't know whether you watched the the funeral. I I didn't watch it. Um, I observed the one minute silence in my study where I was writing notes um, on Apollos, the the, the, the preacher from Acts. I did stop and think for a moment or two about life and death, but I didn't watch it. Um, but I had heard some of the commentary around it, and one of the commentaries interviewed, one of the, the reporters interviewed the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, some people have renamed him Justin Wokeby in modern days because of his uh, left-wing attitudes, and they were asking him of his experience of the Duke of Edinburgh and what it was like to preach before this great man, and he said, Justin Welby said, well you know the Duke didn't like you to, to preach too long, he said the maximum sermon should be eight minutes. And then Welby said, It was okay for me. I only preached seven minutes anyway. Yeah. No doubt. You see, the Bereans received the word with gladness. They wanted to hear the word preached. They didn't want the seven-minute sermonette that the Archbishop of Canterbury would give them. They received the word with readiness of mind. All readiness of mind. Kent Hughes in the Church of Fire, his commentary on acts... Renders this as with all eagerness. It carries with it a sense of urgency. They couldn't wait to hear. They couldn't wait to get to church. They couldn't wait to hear Paul preaching, to hear and understand and receive the message of the word. Hughes reminds us of George Mueller at this time, a man of great faith a man who read his Bible from cover to cover over 200 times. And when he was asked why he read the Bible over and over and over again, he said, because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He read the word. He heard God speaking in the word. Who be content with a seven-minute sermonette when you can read the scriptures from cover to cover and hear God's voice speaking. Bible-centered preaching always stirs the affections of the saints. They Wanted to hear it. They longed to hear it. And such preaching is also very winsome at times. They received the word with this readiness. They were ready to receive it. It was falling into ground that the Lord has prepared for it. And they welcomed it. There's a sweetness to it. As the psalmist would have said, In Psalm 19, it is more to be desired than gold. It is sweeter than much fine gold. It is sweeter than honey and honeycomb. Preaching from God's word is winsome. And it drives the hearer back to the book. That's the purpose of this Berean style preaching. When you hear the word of God proclaimed, you go back to the book and you want more. These Bereans received the word, verse 11, with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily. You see, that's the effect that gospel preaching and biblical preaching ought to have on you. You ought to go from this place and grab your Bible. Take it home with you. And, you, and sit and meditate upon God's word daily. It should make you hungry for more. More of God's word. And it leads to conviction. Verse 12. Therefore many of them believed. Also of honourable women which were Greeks. And of men, not a few. Paul's preaching method was a simple way of preaching that everyone could understand It was textually focused. He preached the word. He preached Christ. He preached the cross. It was an approach that was didactic. So he taught the people and it cut through all the presuppositions that they had. And it got right down to understanding the Bible for itself. Because of that it stirred the affections of God's people. But there is a second effect here. Preaching the text of the Bible in that manner stirs the anger of the godless. Verse 13. When the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. We live, and I suppose, throughout this gospel age, we have always lived, but I think as we come to the end of the gospel age, we live in an age of outrage, don't we? Everybody's outraged. Everybody wants apologies. One American preacher wrote that all you have to do if you want to see human depravity is to sign up to twitter now i'm not suggesting you do that but there's more human depravity on twitter and all the reformers doctrines combined there's arguments and bullying and vitriol and cesspools of misinformation It's all going round in our digital communications world. And there's outrage everywhere. Everybody is angry. And that anger is often directed towards Christians. And it's certainly directed towards Christians when it comes to biblical preaching. This Tuesday in the Assembly, a bill is being proposed by the official Unionist Party in an attempt to outlaw what they call gay conversion therapy. Did you know that? In the Northern Ireland Assembly. They want to outlaw the work of the Holy Spirit because conversion doesn't come by therapy. You can therapy a person until you're blue in the face. It'll not make them a Christian. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict of sins, to bring sinners to repentance, to apply the work of Christ on the cross to sinners. What are they trying to say? What they're trying to say is that we should not make any attempt whatsoever to tell a person who is living in sinful situations that what they are doing is wrong in the sight of God, that it is an abomination in the sight of God. They don't want you to tell them that. They don't want you to preach 1 Corinthians 6, which says that homosexuality and sodomy are sins in the sight of God, along with other sins. And then Paul says, but such were some of you. And you are washed and you are cleansed and you are sanctified through the blood of the Lord Jesus. The church in Corinth where Paul was, uh, was writing that to, there were converted sinners. It was full of them. We're all sinners and we all need the Savior. And we all need to repent of our sin in order to be saved. And this bill that's going to be in the, uh, proposed in the assembly on Tuesday will say to us, you can't tell sinners that they need to repent. Not that type of sinner anyway. It's all right telling a thief he can repent. Or a murderer. Or an adulterer. Or a liar. But don't you dare tell a homosexual that he needs to repent. That she needs to repent. And the word of God says other ways. And do you know, my friends, it might come a time, if this bill or something similar to it is passed in our land, there might come a time when we will be forbidden by law to preach on certain parts of the Bible. And I can promise you now, those are the parts we'll be preaching on. Bible centered preaching stirs the anger of the ungodly. And it still does it to this day. And it did so in Paul's day. And these men, the Jews of Thessalonica, who had already done their best to try to keep the gospel preaching under covers, are now hearing that the word of God is being preached of Paul at Berea. And they come there also, and they're doing their Work, they're stirring up the people and they're doing the devil's work for they hate the word of God and they devise wickedness to silence the voice of God and the scriptures. Bible centered preaching always stirs the affections of the elect. And Bible-centered preaching stirs the anger of the godless. And the good thing about Bible-centered preaching is that we can't avoid it. When we're working through a book verse by verse, line by line, passage by passage, we're going to come across passages that will cut right across what the society thinks and believes. And it's our job not to neglect those passages. If we were preaching little bits here and little bits there, we would be able to choose what we want to preach on. But when we're doing systematic Bible study, exegetical Bible study, expository preaching, we've got to say what's in the book, no matter what the government says. Lastly, time is gone. Bible-centered preaching, like Paul's, speeds the advancement of the gospel. no matter where he goes, sinners are saved. And now, with the people stirred up, in verse 14, immediately the brethren sent Paul, sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still, and they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. It's because of gospel-centered preaching that Paul is forced to move on once again into a new city where some more people will hear the word and respond. God willing, next week, we'll start to look at the arrival of Paul in Athens when he's all alone, what he sees and what he does. So Paul has come to a backwater time and he's found an opening for the gospel and he's found people who are willing to study the scriptures to be sure that what they were hearing is true. And it was, for Paul was preaching Christ, crucified, risen from the dead for sinners. And more people, more sinners, are saved, added to the Lord's church. We're going to praise God as we sing our closing psalm. And it's Psalm 119, verse 97, 13th part of the psalm. Psalm 119, verse 97 down to verse 104. Oh, I love thy law, it is my study all the day. It makes me wiser than my foes, for it doth with me stay. And all my teachers now I have more understanding for, because my meditation, thy testimonies are. very appropriate psalm for us to conclude our worship this evening. Psalm 119, the 13th part, verse 97 to verse 104. And let us stand as we sing.